Welcome to the Bomb Shelter, your weekly journey through the miraculous world of film. Well, summer break is over. It's episode 14 yes. of the Bomb Shelter. <laughs> we took one yes. week off. There were some slightly bigger, more important things to figure out than yeah, sure. movies living on forever in infamy. And yet, we're back. <laughs> we We had to come back. Because we uh, promised to make a show about bad movies, and you keep picking the most... I mean, we put the same movie in every category. Or, I mean, I mean, we put a movie, and people keep picking the one from the same category over and over and over. Probably because they think it's more fun for us to talk about it. Sure. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. I don't, I'm not sure what to feel about Grease 2, man. <laughs> well, I mean... To I well, there's there's a specific reason that our future presentation this week was Greece too. The reason that it sure. even got on the poll to pick the weekly film, which um, I mean, you can participate in through through social media. Also, subscribe to the, the way, podcast while is, you're at it. Yes. Uh, also, this is the bomb shelter. I'm Pat Maranya, and the other voice is Max Elbeck. Uh, we're, we sure. talk about bad movies every week. That's right. So the reason... Normally Max does it and I heisted it off of him. Pretty much. I think that's exactly <laughs> what happened. So the that's reason... Exactly what happened. The reason Grease 2 is on the poll in the first place is because a lot of people love this film, even though a it was... A lot of people. Well, I, I'm going to call them a vocal... Uh, a vocal a, minority. It is a, a vocal It is minority. a cult classic. It is a cult classic somehow. I don't know how. I don't know how I didn't. Because there's a lot of movies that you know there's a cult following and they're infamous because of their cult following. Like The Room is one of those. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show is another one of those. Freddy Got Fingered for some weird reason is one of those. I did not think the 1980 whatever classic Grease 2 would be one of those movies. And yet it is. 1982, I believe, was the release year part for of, Grease 2. Well, part of me wants to think that it is mostly because it is a sequel to Grease, an all around classic, super enjoyable movie. Um, and less because of the stuff that's in it, because this movie is weird. This movie's real strange. And I, I don't know if people in 1982 would have really rolled with this stuff, man. But I, I guess they did. And I, I, I still think most people in 2023 don't roll with it. With all due respect. <laughs> yeah. With all yeah, due respect. Sure. No taste is They're more likely to. Subjective. They're more likely to. Taste is subjective. You can think about sure. whatever movie, whatever you want. But, sure. you know, for these kind of infamous but not necessarily obvious films is what we are doing this show for. Before we get, however, into the feature presentation, there's been some releases, some theatrical releases. Yes. Pat, how <laughs> many of those have you seen in, in Almost the none of them. I, oh my God. I haven't been to the theater since I saw Indy uh, wow. because of diverse circumstances more than... More often than not, it's I, I, I'm, you know, on vacation with my family and for different reasons. 
not all of us have time to go all the time and then there's visits and then there's kind of stuff that gets in the way so uh i think we're gonna go see barbie this weekend right if i can i'm also gonna go watch mi and if nobody wants to go with me i'll go watch oppenheimer by myself because that that just sounds enjoyable but yeah i haven't been able to go to the theater so most of the stuff that i've seen i've seen in my house on my tv right on streaming services on the streaming services yes yeah Uh, i also want to take a quick moment to say a big old shout out to the people on strike right now oh yeah you're doing you're doing the lord's work all of you you're doing great and i hope you understand that you're doing great and uh we are we the people that like movies and television shows and like it when they're good and not made by machines uh or conglomerates that are more willing to use machines than people. Um, we salute you and we uh, admire the good work you're all putting in. And we can't wait to see you win. You guys are going to win. You guys are going to do great. Come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The 2024 release calendar is fucked. Does not look good. It's so fucked. Yeah. It is fucked. Deadpool 3. Yeah. If this doesn't get figured out soon, Deadpool 3 is fucked. Deadpool 3 is fucked. Because Mostly, I mean, no improv is happening keep... on set already. And now no. they've shut down. Yeah. And also, like, most of the actors, I don't know if you know this, but most of the actors on there are on, are a part of SAG-AFTRA. So, like, uh, unless, oh, yeah. except for Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, really, because they're from their respective nations is uh actors unions i guess like well yeah for the but... same reason that the british actors can keep promoting oppenheimer and not the american ones kind of kind of but is is that still happening really because i feel like most of the promotional stuff was recorded before oh, yeah, the strike anyway that, yeah but it's mostly emily blunt <laughs> it's mostly emily blunt because Killian Murphy is missing from a lot of the promotional material for Oppenheimer. Well, I don't know why. Killian, well, no, Killian Murphy is just a recluse. Killian Murphy doesn't actually like <laughs> Killian Murphy. doing marketing Killian Murphy work. Is a moth. Killian Murphy is a moth that emerges from his cocoon every few years to deliver one of the year's best performances. And then he goes back to his cocoon until yeah. he earns his, the awards that are deservedly his. I feel like a bunch of British actors would also be members of SAG-AFTRA due to yeah, of course, how it is easy to, well, relatively easy if you work consistently in the U.S. to earn citizenship. Sure, and yes. And maybe taxes. I don't know. Everything, everything rich people do is in service of making taxes less invasive and earning more money. And that's so, where like, we're gonna stop know. strike talk. Either way, <laughs> not not Supports that you SAG after, not that you need the WGA SAG after start. Yeah, support all the strikes. Exactly. Also the UPS worker strike. Also the hospitality worker strike. Yeah. Stick it to the man. We're doing great. And if you feel like, you know, if you feel compelled to say, well, I don't earn that much at my job, and I'm not on strike. What the fuck are these people doing? Consider you going go on, strike. on strike yourself. Exactly. <laughs> consider that's, consider going on strike. That's what it's like to be taken advantage of. Yes. Good. Yep. 
Uh, okay. Let's let's end the strike talk here. Uh, let's get into the stuff that we watched this week. Uh, well, so I'm so, going to start out. Yeah, go ahead. With the 90s, no, the 80s classic, The Remains of the Day, uh, a movie starring Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, your your face is. <laughs> so me and me and Max are on a FaceTime call. His face suddenly became very surprised. I randomly stumbled onto this movie on Netflix. And by randomly, I mean not randomly because Netflix knows what I like. Okay. So I saw, saw this movie on my Netflix algorithm and I was like, wait, Christopher Reeve is in this? Okay. I love Christopher Reeve. He's Superman. Come on. So I started watching the movie and I thought that it was a wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, I don't know how I missed it. Uh, Anthony Hopkins acts his ass off in this movie, just very subtly performing as like this robotic butler in this English banner and the theme is interesting and it's based on a novel by a really famous novelist that I should read more um yeah man that that movie's pretty great I don't know how I missed it and also if you missed it watch it it's very elegant and pleasant a pleasant watch okay all right well I mean you said older movies but then you put the caveat in from the last five years and yet this sounds like an older movie it's an older, I mean, when I said old movies, normally when I think old movies, I think Dr. Caligari or Gone with the Wind. I don't mean The Remains of the Day starring Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson from the mid-90s, I guess. I don't know when so that So from two decades ago. It's from two decades. It's, it's within the ballpark of a couple of decades. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. That's a big ballpark, I know. But yeah, that was my first thing. What did you watch this week, Max? Well... Uh, exactly seven days ago, we're recording this on what for me is Monday the 25th. So exactly seven days ago, I saw Mission Wait, Impossible. Wait, it's Monday the 20, Monday is 20, the 24th for me. We're on different Mondays, you and I. No, you're, it's Sunday the 24th for you. No, it's no, Monday the no, 24th. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, to, it me, is. to me, it's Tuesday. <laughs> to me, it's Tuesday the 25th. Now, there you go. Uh, oh, yeah. Now it's mon- it's Monday the 24th for me. So what are we doing here, Max? <laughs> I've just been, you know, I've we're communicating across the confines of time and space. Basically, through FaceTime, funnily enough. Through through FaceTime. FaceTime is the quantum tunnel through which we can, you know, speak to each other. Still though, seven days ago I saw Mission Impossible Debt Reckoning Part One in theaters in a uh, sort of special Dolby cinema which oh, awesome. improved the experience massively. And I will say action set pieces, which there are four big ones of, are all fantastic. And yeah, especially the car chase through Rome had some elements that spoke to me very eloquently, very nicely. I had a very good time. I will say that... Let me ask you something. Is the me. Reckoning truly dead? Is, it, is, it, is the Reckoning truly dead? Or are we going to find out in part two? I think you're going to find out in part two. Oh, man. Okay. They're going to leave us with a cliffhanger. Tom Cruise is going to turn to the camera and be like, I think this reckoning might truly be dead. And then mm-hmm. Haley Atwell says, a dead reckoning? And then the the panel comes down and it says, Thanos will return in part two or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't say this film leaves <laughs> off on a cliffhanger. I would say... okay. Similarly to 
across the Spider-Verse in which all the main characters do actually complete their character arc. It's just that the story of yeah. the next film already started in this one. This also manages to pull off to be the ending, uh, the satisfying ending to part one within the confines of a, of a bigger story. What I will say yeah. is over the last couple of films, the Mission Impossible franchise has used the retcon in order to bring in some more story elements from Ethan Hunt's past specifically. I and think that's a holdover from like the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Because I think oh, they sure. figured out like, oh, Daniel Craig can work as like a linear franchise and like things that you can carry over, like plot elements you can carry over from movie to movie. And like there's stuff you remember more from Mission Impossible because of the action set pieces. And yeah. not, you don't remember that much about James Bond, like from Skyfall to... I don't know, Spectre, you're like, oh, wait, we're supposed to be remembering this stuff? Like, I don't know. What I would say about Bond there is that when you watch No Time to Die, you remember all of Skyfall and you forgot that Spectre happened. That's what that's what was the case with me. Anyway. Pretty much, yeah. Skyfall yeah. is a brilliant they, they film. Kill Blofeld, they kill Blofeld on camera just, <laughs> just so you can be like, oh, yeah, Sky, Spectre wasn't that great. And Quantum Solace wasn't either. So let's just, let's just get rid of all that. Yeah, so... You know, they're, they've been trying to make these more serialized. What they've been doing is to, you know, use the retcon a lot. Yeah. And in this specific instance, I feel like the combination of the retcon and what the main villain is went a little too far for me in terms of suspension of disbelief. Oh, you mean it's a dude in a mask that was a character from previous movies? No. No, it's... Is it Anthony Hopkins from Mission Impossible 2? No, it's not. Oh, man. Come on. No. That, that would be fun if he just took off a mask and it was 90-year-old Anthony Hopkins. And you're like, what? He's a threat to Ethan Hunt. Somebody's got to stop him. So the rest of the audience might have already seen Mission Impossible 7, but you haven't. So I'm not going to tell you. I'm sorry, Any more Dead details. Reckoning Part two, 1? Uh, whatever. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't care. I don't care, Pat. But I care because oh, I love oh, Mission Impossible. Overall, I will say I enjoyed Rogue Nation, which is 5, and okay. Ghost Protocol, which is 6. A little no, that's more. Four. What? 6 is Fallout. Six Fallout, is Fallout okay. Starring a, start with Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, as, I okay. I think the best. The best villain of this entire franchise. Probably. Okay. Okay. So. Rogue Nation. Is five. And f is, which is five. And, and Fallout. Was, and Fallout. Is, okay. Fallout is six. I enjoyed yeah, which is those kind two of a, a little more. Part two. Part, there are part one and part two into themselves. Because that Rogue Nation is where they figured out, oh, we can carry things over. From movie to movie because of the James Bond stuff and John Wick stuff. So we could just like, and then the next one, Ilsa Schneider. No, not Ilsa Faust. Schneider. Ilsa, Ilsa Faust. Faust. Schneider is the one from uh, Indiana, Indiana Jones. And like Ilsa shows up and like from the moment that Luther starts coming back 
and then Benji starts coming back, and then slowly Ilsa Faust starts coming back, and then the villains start coming back. Like, uh... Little Sean Harris started showing up in movies, and then the voice like this. Yeah, it's, um... Yeah, that's fun. I, I like Mission Impossible. There you go. Okay. This uh, week, I also uh, had it myself a rewatch of the incredible classic Saving Private Ryan. I had not watched it in a while. And it's, I mean, there's very little to say about this movie that has not already been said. It's incredible. It's great. I hope you had a nice time rewatching it as well. Oh, I had a wonderful time. Very what good. Did you, what else did you watch this week? Well, on the same day, I saw the Robert Altman film California Split on Oh my at home. It was oh. it was certainly interesting. I feel like it dragged on a little too much at the end, but the two main characters and their dynamic are certainly worth you know watching for a long ass time. And the gambling sure. sequences they're I will say it's not well, yeah. There have been more realistic depictions of degenerate gambling in modern cinema now. Sure. Yeah. Uncut Gems would be one of them. Exactly. Oh, Uncut Gems is great. But I feel like they still do a very good job of conveying what the main characters go through with their degenerate gambling habit and how they cannot sure. remain friends at the end of the film. Spoiler alert for... A movie from the 80s. What? Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. It's, I got, it's, it's I Robert, Robert Altman. Robert Altman, I don't think he's made it. I don't think he made a bad film. So there you go. Oh, that's that's a pretty good take. Uh, my, the final thing that I watched this past couple of weeks, because the rest of the time I spent it watching... Rewatching the Bear season two with my family. I actually, showing, I actually saw the, the Bear. I actually saw the whole of the Bear season two as well during oh, during that during that exact. How'd uh, how you like it? Span of time. Oh, I I thought it was really good. It's uh, incredible. Yeah, it's of course, of course, fishes is a standout, obviously. Oh my god, it's crazy. The, I, the my finale. favorite one is that one and the. And the seventh, the episode where uh, they send Richie to the restaurant with Olivia Coleman and Spoons. the value of, of service. It's pretty great. Forks or something. I don't know what it's called. But yeah, that, that Richie episode is, is really great. And Eben Mo few people are doing as good on TV right now as Eben Moss Bacharach is on The Bear. He's, he's phenomenal. Um, oh, yeah. The guest stars were all great. I love I love the guest stars. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. She kills it. Jamie Lee Curtis kills it in this in this show. Um, John Mulaney does so good with so little. He does so well with so little. He's so subtle and he's so himself. Yeah, he he does a very uh, very good job of uh, finding a way to I know uh, for you to love Uncle. Well, no, cousin Stevie. Cousin Stevie, yeah. Well, Sarah I, well, Paulson. Well, I don't, I don't know. Because always great. Sarah Paulson's character is supposed to be... Cousin Michelle. Cousin, yeah. yeah, she's she's so an actual cousin of boyfriend. the Barzados. And John Mulaney plays Stevie, who is Michelle's His partner. Her, her boyfriend. Yeah. Her partner. Um, yeah, John Bernthal. 
really good. Uh, yeah, that entire episode is filled with such amazing performances and uh, uh, Jeremy Allen White, amazing, so good. Molly Gordon, so good. I love Bob Kirk every time I see him. I wanted to punch him in the face in this show. I, I hated his character so much. And that's the point, that he's like a dick. Uh, yes. Oh, man. Spoiler alert for, for season two of The Bear. Did you ever get a sense that Uncle Lee and Donna, who is the Brazado's mother, that they were an item, that they were together? Yeah, that w- that's kind of, con- it's not subtext. It's like context almost. Like John Burns almost like, so we're doing this again? Like like uh, Michael comes up like, so guys, we're doing this again? And like. Okay. They do a whole thing about that. Yeah, and fuck. Like they so that, keep, I missed it. Every time okay. they mention his, every time they mention his name in the present, they're like, Lee, your uncle Lee Lane. They're like, fuck that guy. He's not our uncle. Like they hate that guy. Yeah, <laughs> no. In present day, I understand it, but during the the Fishers episode, that's when I sort of when like, I feel like I missed it, and now you just pointed out what I missed. So I'm gonna go yeah, back in rewatch it. They're like. Both of them are like picking something up from the floor and then Lee is like, oh, so I bought this new building as a couple cracks in it, but I'm going to lease it and then uh, we could do this together. And then Michael comes and is like, so guys, we're doing this again? Really? Like starts messing with him right. and then later starts throwing forks in his face. That so, that tense. I do remember, obviously. That was very tense and so uncomfortable. Tense. Oh my God. So uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so uh, I rewatched that. Um, I, uh, watched also last night, actually, I saw an animated film called the summit of the gods, which is made by a French studio, uh, based on a Japanese, well, I was going to say Japanese manga, but all manga is Japanese. It's kind of like saying chai tea or non bread. There you go. Stuff that I learned from into the spot from across the spider. Um, you only learned it then? No, I learned it from before. I was making a joke. I was uh, making a joke for the sake of humor. Hmm. Um, yeah, The Summit of the Gods, fantastic animated movie. It plays almost like an animated documentary, but it's 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 not based on something real, so it's not a documentary. It's just a very well presented work of fiction. It's stunning to look at. The story's great. It's about like higher ambitions and finding fulfillment in your life and why uh i don't know getting to the top of a mountain both you know physically i mean literally and metaphorically matters to a person's sense of self it's phenomenal fantastic it's on netflix you should all watch it uh, in case you get a chance and you like movies that are animated that are not necessarily like cartoonish or big bombastic action it's just a it's a normal movie that happens to be animated. Very good. Fantastic movie. Finally, I saw both Barbie and Frances Ha, where the connecting tissue there are Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. Frances Ha was yeah. written by Greta Gerwig, directed by Noah Baumbach. Barbie was written by the both of them, directed by Greta Gerwig. Uh, what I will say is Barbie is my favorite comedy that I've seen in the theater this year. Yeah. It's, it's a comedy film. Yeah. At the very least. And. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I saw this film with a South Asian 
audience. I've been to the movies down here in South Asia for, well, I've been a couple of times to the theater. Barbie was by far the most packed the theater has been during any Wait, of the really? screenings that I've attended. Oh, yeah. That's cool. And there are a couple <laughs> of very specific sort of Western references that are yeah. uh, jokes. And the, the Chinese audience, they were cackling, laughing out loud at, at the jokes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Man, I was covering... Barbie's I was, breaking down barriers. Yeah. At, at other points in the film where no one was laughing, I sort of covered my mouth and sort of, oh, no, you don't want to be that one guy laughing in a, yeah. in a packed theater. But when it's a theater with like 10 people in it, I'll I'll just laugh whenever I want. I don't care. But I feel like if it's more people, then maybe I should yeah. tone it down a little bit. The the consensus does hinder you from from expressing yourself. Yeah, but in, well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, there's, again, I, I'm not going to spoil this for you. There's one very specific scene that sort of made the movie for yeah. me. Involving Michael Sarah's Cer- character, Alan. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I can't wait. I, can, I, I can't wait to see it. I, the moment, I think the moment I saw the trailer, I was super into it. And I, and I also drink the Barbenheimer Kool-Aid. It's just a very funny coincidence that these two very different movies happen at the same time and yet there's a lot of really weird similarities like the the fact that it's directed by auteurs and it's directed and it's produced by like husband and wife production houses and the fact that they both seem to explore humanity's impact on on the social fabric of stuff and post and like late 40s and 50s american americana and stuff like that it's uh it's interesting a lot of a lot of stuff that's similar but they're so dissimilar in tone and in subject and in i mean like style and color just the difference in color just the fact of like the grayness and the beigeness and the black and whiteness of oppenheimer versus all the pink of barbie is like it's a real phenomenon and people are and there's like production houses that are trying to do the same with like so later in the year, a Paw Patrol movie and a new Saw movie come out on the same same day, and the studios are trying to make it like a thing, like Saw Patrol. They're trying to make it a real thing, and it's not working because nobody cares about either of those movies. <laughs> nobody gives a shit about either of those movies. So like, it's it's very funny to me that like, oh no, we just have to grab two movies that we can sort of make a portmanteau of. And they have to be very different. So Saw and Paw Patrol, sure, produce them at the same time and make a big deal out of them. It's like, no, man, you don't, you ain't got juice the way Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan do, man. You don't get to do that. I mean, who knows? Maybe when when will this marketing fad run out? Will it be this year? Will it be? Well, it won't be next year because there's barely any movies coming out next year. There's barely any movies coming out next year. I will say. They missed a huge marketing opportunity because someone pointed out that in 2008, two movies that were very different released on the same day, The Dark Knight, also a Nolan movie, and Mamma Mia, the first Mamma Mia released on the same day in 2008. Uh. And people are like, and people are like that, that was the original Barbenheimer. And I was like, nah, man, I don't think it is I, the first time anyone's seen anything like this. I disagree. I, uh, well, I, I agree with you in disagreeing that that would have been the original 
instance of <laughs> some sort of marketing fad like that. But you know the, no. the fact that people are, have celebrated going to the theater to go see both yeah, sure. has been nice to see. Although, and it's good for theaters too, because like yeah. not not a lot of people go to theaters that often. Like like I I read this thing of like, or I heard this thing more that I thought was interesting. The fact that so many blockbusters are coming out in a row is actually not great because going to theaters is a luxury for a lot of people. So they're not going to see a blockbuster every weekend because it's not practical. They pick and choose. So they save their money for stuff like Across the Spider-Verse and Barbenheimer. And they completely skip movies like The Flash or the Indiana Jones movie, like stuff like that. And it's, it's interesting that two movies can come out on the same day and totally pack theaters for both movies on the same weekend. It's fun. Like, and they, people make a whole day out of it and like go into Barbie, come out, have a break and then go into Oppenheimer. It's fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, I would say there are more mitigating factors when it comes to the flash and Indiana sure. Jones specifically. Also, sure, sure, sure. I, I've read that mission impossible isn't doing as great as expected, which I think comes down to the fact that Oppenheimer after one week just took all the premium screens away from Mission Impossible <laughs> sure. in most countries. Sure. So let, sure. let, let's see how that overall effect. Let's see how that does overall. Yeah, exactly. And also, I don't I don't think they marketed it as much, right? Like Mission I mean, Impossible. Op, I think if either Oppenheimer or Barbie didn't have the other movie come out at the same time, I don't think they would be doing it. Well, maybe Barbie. Barbie would be killing it, I think. Oh, yeah. If it, But it's doing better than it would have if Oppenheimer wasn't around. It's the whole meme that... And it, and it also works the other way around. If Oppenheimer didn't have Barbie to do the whole Barbenheimer thing, only the Nolan bros would have gone to see it. If, well, well... I, I think crowd. I think you're underestimating the pull of Christopher Nolan a tiny bit, and overestimating oh, yeah. the effect the the effect the tangible effect that meme culture has on box office box office results. Because do you remember like, last it's... year when Sony got tricked into re-releasing Morbius? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that was pretty great. That's the only time I've ever felt that a meme has been useful to humanity is. <laughs> It was very funny to me when Sony did not get the joke and re-released Morbius and, and tagged even worse than the first time. Oh, yeah. Very funny. Yeah. Uh, Max, should we get into this week's feature presentation and prevent delaying this any further? Cause Do we have to? I got to tell you, man. I got to tell you, man. I did not like Grease 2, and I was very ready to like it. I've ne I had never seen this movie before. I've seen the first one plenty of times. I've heard the music from the first Grease a million times. Oh, yeah. Billions of times. Grease Lightning is stuck in my head forever. It's a super fun song. It's a super fun movie. Yeah, it has. It, it's weird. Like, it's an old movie stuff. Every movie made before 2008 has a weird, like, tinge of, like, the past is weird and the past is uncomfortable because it's not <laughs> present. Okay. Um, every movie before 2008 has a little bit of that. Like, you know, The Dark Knight, it has a lot of, like, you know, 
maybe putting people in prison is okay. <laughs> it's like, maybe we should do reforms on the prison system, Christopher Nolan. Nah, Batman is awesome. Like, it does a lot of that. Um, and, like, advocates for, like, the NSA spying on our phones. But whatever. So, I will say, the moment this movie began, like, with the weird... Because I have a lot of notes here. I have so, I have so many okay. notes. So, I have a note here that says weird dialogue right at the start, which is like the two teachers being like, oh, this school is going to form all American boys and girls that are coming out with uh, academic excellence or whatnot. The moment they come out with that kind of dialogue, I was like, this is a canon movie. Like, this is a movie someone made as like a tax scheme. Oh. And they put like, and they put like all their money into whatever the AI equivalent of, of back was back then of just like churn out a script fill it with hot people i don't care if they can sing or not yeah the main guy can't sing whatever he's hot and british put him in the movie and then cover him with motorcycle accoutrements and make him a vigilante for no reason like it's like it was just a mix of stuff that is in other movies and i can't tell who thought these ideas were good who thought these ideas were bad so you know it's it's one of those movies, man. Just one of those movies that were made for no reason. Well, it's it's once again this heightened, campy, Americana musical world. Yeah. That sure, sure. with a bunch of twenty and thirty year olds going to school. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, classic classic Hollywood. Classic. Still doing it to this day. Classic eighties Hollywood. But yeah, at least today, well. The number of you know, thirty year olds. Cole Sprouse playing Cole Sprouse playing Jughead while he's well into his thirties is pretty pretty fun. Well, th but that started seven years ago, so exactly they get he a was, pass. He was thirty something seven years ago, man. <laughs> he was not a teenager seven years ago. Granted, okay. Well, and still, uh, well, yeah. So some some of the implications <laughs> were. All of the all of these uh, children are smoking cigarettes and flirting with yeah. teachers. It's also the fifties, so it's supposed to be the fifties. Yeah, so anything goes. Everyone knows in the fifties, you know, we they won World War Two. They could do whatever the hell they wanted. That's how that's how America worked, right? I th maybe. Sure. I don't uh, know. Should we go through what this movie's about? Because the 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 plot of this movie is pretty pretty crazy to me the plot of this film is well to be fair they give you the references inside of the film so it's yeah, sure. if uh superman and lois lane met in high school during a musical <laughs> yeah right yeah that's exactly what it is and yeah. lois lane is Here's a member thing. of the pink ladies sure and Superman is a is not Superman, is but a British, British. writer huh. who is related to Sandy from the first movie. Mm. And also, he has like a training montage to ride his bike. And he's also a biker. It's more like he meets Daredevil, right? It's, it's, it's one of those, like, it's a really weird... I, I gotta I gotta go through you wanna go through what this movie's about, man? Yeah, how it, this movie how the plot of this movie goes. They say Superman in the film because They say Superman in the film, yeah. It's a case where the 
sort of hero persona. You know, it's it's quite obvious who it is to basically everyone else, but because he's wearing goggles, the 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 girl Steph Zanioli, Zanoni, yeah. Zanoni, Steph Zanoni, yeah, yeah, yeah. played by Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> can't tell who. Who, by the he way, is. by the way, Michelle Pfeiffer, a total pro. Right from the get-go. She nails, she's nailing every moment of this, and it's insane and weird and crazy. But it's also perfectly Michelle Pfeiffer to me. I loved it. <laughs> I loved every second of it. Yeah, so, so that is the, the the main story, this love story between the characters called Michael Carrington and yes. Stephanie Zanoni, Michael Carrington, yes. Cousin of Sandy from the first Greece arrives at Rydell, is a genius level intellect because he doesn't have to <laughs> yeah. focus on school. He can just focus on getting good at riding a motorbike because <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stephanie Zanoni, member of the Pink Ladies, she's sick of dating the classic greaser from Rydell, which are the T Boys. The T-Birds. The T-Birds. Don't make the same mistake. The, te the teacher keeps mistaking them all the time. Uh, the teacher calls them T-Bones. T-Bones, yeah. You yeah. call them T-Boys, which is like something no one has ever said. <laughs> there you go. The T-Birds. She's, she's sick and tired of this sort of pact between T-Birds and Pink Ladies. Where I, uh, as, as long as you want to be a member of the Pink Lady, you got to see one of the T-Birds. Yeah, which is really weird. Oh, that's, it's one of the weirdest yeah. things in this movie, I guess. Yeah, one, one of the the sort of arranged arranged marriages done in high school of like, hey, you're in the you're a pink lady. First of all, you belong to the T Birds. Like you're a T Birds woman. Yeah, you can't date anyone who's not a T Bird. I was like, what? That was weird, even for the fifties. I think, right? Well, I, mean, I don't know. The fifties were weird. Yeah, and well, but also this movie wasn't made in the fifties. It was made in the 80s. It was made like by 90s, people remembering the 70s. 50s. It was made by people remembering the 50s very fondly. <laughs> you know? Very accurate, I hope. Yeah. Okay, so she's tired of seeing the main guy from the T-Birds. She yes, has a whole song. She has a whole song about how the person she wants to date is a cool rider. A cool rider, yeah. Okay. And then Michael's character arc is about becoming the cool rider without losing himself. <laughs> yeah, which is, it's very fun. It's very funny. But it, there's it, even a point where it's like, who am I? Am I the cool rider or am I Michael character? And I'm like, you've been doing this for two days. It, it cool, feels cool. Cool. It, man. it feels like it's two days. You know, the pacing is very, very weird because... The pacing is weird. Yeah, yeah, because of throughout the entire movie, we go through the entire school year. Yeah, exactly. And uh, intersplice between this love story are a high school talent show where the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies both perform in. There's yeah. uh, them sort of coming together, meeting outside of school for bowling. Yeah. And sort of brief songs and short little teases of characters 
at the school itself, you know, with some of the teachers. Exactly, yeah. Did I miss anything? Mm, the finale takes place at a luau for some reason. Yeah, I didn't know what um, a luau was until yesterday when yeah. I saw Grease 2. <laughs> yeah, really, really strange. Um, the finale takes place at a luau. That's the first thing. Uh, there is a rival biker gang that is just allowed to just like waltz into a school oh, yeah. in broad daylight. And it's also allowed to burst into this luau and knock a bunch of torches to the ground and start lighting stuff on fire and nothing happens. See, the luau, um, as far as I can understand, the luau takes place outside of school property. So I, I don't feel yes. that that is as egregious as them just okay, yeah, sure. getting on the uh, on the football field at the school. What is, yeah, what is inappropriate on every level? and very egregious is that biology lesson about reproduction that they have in the you know what that's my favorite part of the film i'm not gonna lie it's the song is it's amazing it's the only it's my favorite part it's my favorite part because <laughs> of how weird it is it is so, it is so insane it's from it's so weird it's such a weird weird scene in the movie yeah the but, heightened... i mean let's just start let's start going into the good stuff yeah reproduction <laughs> <laughs> Reproduction. Yeah, Reproduction. Yeah, that song is amazing. That's, that was very, very fun. It's very, very fun and funny and completely inappropriate to be taking place in a school. <laughs> so inappropriate. Where all, all, the, all the boys in the classroom want to want to basically rip the clothes <laughs> off the, the girls in the classroom right there and then. Including the teacher. Including the teacher no, that's no, 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 helping no. out there. The, well, the... The uh, the girls in the class all want to fuck the teacher. <laughs> the one. Because no, the dudes in the class all want to have sex with the with the female teacher. Oh, who's constantly with Miss Mason. With yeah, Miss yeah, Mason. Because the biology teacher, they don't want to. They don't want to have sex with the biology teacher. He's a nerd. He wears glasses and he's shy. But he knows about reproduction. Oh, he knows. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> you're totally right. It's yeah. I mean. It's we start fun. Going good stuff, it's that's, funny. The song is actually catchy, and it's the only song that's catchy, catchy, in my opinion, right? Because there's there are fears sure. of defenders for all the other songs. Good on you. Not trying to take anything like away cool from writer. you. I like, I like the big uh, Michelle Pfeiffer solo number, "Cool Writer" at the beginning. Because again, it's so weird, and it's just Michelle Pfeiffer. She's like the context is she's just explaining what her dream guy is to Michael. And then she starts going up the rails by herself. There's no choreography except the, the kind she's doing. And then she dances off stage like a, she does really weird movements. And yeah. I, I was really into it. They just completely. was crazy. Everyone knows. Well, they, they just kind of stopped the auditions for the talent show for her to explain her, her kind of guy <laughs> yeah. through song to, to Michael. And then it's funny, what, yeah. what, and it's also in the context of like she's rejecting him, and it's like, no, you're not a cool writer. I'm not gonna date you. Mm. But in terms of reproduction, it's <laughs> yeah, it's we're really still the scene is amazing, except for the fact that it takes place in a high school, and there's yeah, some then it makes it kind of kind of inappropriate, dark implications going on in there. Uh 
I don't know. Yeah, I will say this movie is more outwardly horny than the first one. The first one is is very subtly horny. And it's got sexual terminology in the song, but it's not actively like these are teenagers that want to f the brains out of each other. All the time. No, this <laughs> one Christ. this one they're constant they're constantly doing innuendo. They're constantly like there's a bunch of storylines and side storylines about betting each other there's a whole sequence where like a dude is trying to trick a girl into banging by pretending that a nuclear strike has started oh yeah uh it's which is by the way also insane one of the craziest scenes in this movie i know that's that's just out and out gaslighting that is yeah that is yeah that's that's terrible um the one song that could have been about innuendo the one that takes place at a bowling alley and they're Keep saying like we're gonna score tonight. You're gonna score tonight. <laughs> I kept I kept thinking that it was innuendo. I kept thinking that it's like, oh no, they're talking about what Johnny and Paulette are gonna do later. No, they're just talking about how much fun they're having bowling, and it's we're like, well, this was it was well, right there, man. Well, I mean, I mean, I think there. Are, I think it's also there's. There's choreography going on on. Sure, but then again, that's just the movie being horny. That's not the song isn't horny. It's just about like we're all teenagers having fun at the bowling alley. <laughs> it's like what? Well, okay. this is the one song that would have been appropriate of like if I win at because they do it. They have a line of dialogue of like if I win at bowling, I I get to score tonight, and then then you can go into like he's gonna score tonight and be like. All his boys are celebrating him or whatever. Like, hell yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> there you go. And no, it, it just transforms. It's like, no, everyone's having fun at the bowling alley. I, I kind of sort of disagree there, but I see the point. Uh... But let's go for the good stuff, Max, because we have a show to do. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, I will... we, we started. So reproduction, that whole sequence, if not set in a high school, sure. would be amazing. Um. It's still amazing, even though it's set in a high school. It just makes it weirder. No, but, oh wait, it 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 gets downgraded from amazing to fun. That's what I would say. Yeah, sure. Um, I wrote here Michelle Pfeiffer, total pro, period, nailing it, period. And I think she is. She's by far the best performer in this movie. Maybe one, maybe one or two of the adults who are like yeah, the teachers, like exactly. Actors. Because the teachers are doing so much with very little and michelle pfeiffer is like she's got one of those faces where like she can act like an insane person very easy and i would believe her very easily i see that makes sense and the way she portrays this character is very fun and very weird and she's like again she's dancing off stage and movements are completely unnatural and she's just doing weird stuff for the hell of it and her voice is crazy and they're trying to Olivia Newton John her up a little bit. They're trying to like her singing voice. They're trying to make it very similar to Olivia Newton John. And then she's like, "Nope, I'm gonna move like a psychopath." And then it's like, "Oh yeah, I'm back in." I thought I thought she was great. I thought she was really good. The teachers were amazing. They were really funny. They were really funny every really time they funny. were on the screen. There's this these the couple of scenes in the principal's office where the principal is doing announcements through this uh, speaker system. And she has yeah, this like colleague that's doing a 
she's either playing an instrument or testing out the nuclear <laughs> nuclear alarm system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I, I like the attempts at naturalism. What do I mean by this? Uh, <laughs> a bunch of the the 20 and 30 year olds playing high schoolers say yeah, sure. say words wrong in a funny way so yeah there's one one of one of the t birds keeps pronouncing nuclear wrong nucleoid keeps saying that oh yeah sure yeah it's a nice little touch um and i'm sure there's more of those so i just can't think of them right now <laughs> Um, yeah, there's the, one of the teachers actually is the basketball coach and early in the movie, the way they show him scouting for players is like, Hey, look alive. And they're just throwing a ball to them and be like, you want to be part of the basketball team? You look like you're good at catching balls. Like, exactly. And then, and, then, and, and then he goes, Oh, oh, we throw you in some heels and then you, and then you'll play center. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then they show him coaching bat, uh, football. They show him coaching. Yeah, show he's he's like, both a basketball and football coach. Poor man. So it's like, what is what is going on with this fifties high school? They have a coach for every dedicated school team, and also like, are the bikers really playing football? Is this what bikers did back then? Okay. Well, weird. Whatever. But it's very funny that that's that he's that he's like committed to this energy of like. Yeah, come on, kids. We're gonna do this. Uh, yeah, you want to play basketball? Let's do it, kid. There's <laughs> Take you to the top. I'm like hell. Yeah. There's a story resting underneath the main story, which is that sure. is, that the school is severely understaffed and not enough <laughs> yeah. and not enough students go to it for it to run properly. Because and some weird stuff is going through staffing and stuff because they have a teacher that keeps fainting. They have a teacher that faints. At the slightest trace of trouble. Well, I think the implication is that he was also a teacher during the events of the first one, and just couldn't take it anymore. Oh, really? And I, I, <laughs> I, I thought the implication was that he died, but it appears that it, that it wasn't. He faints. He faints twice in the movie. He faints at the beginning. He's replaced by inappropriate professor, and that he faints again at the end. He's present at the luau. Oh, he's present at the luau. I didn't notice him. And the the moment the bikers storm in, he faints again. I guess he didn't die then. All right, good for good good for Mr. Spears. Good to see you again, man. Good for him. Good for him. He survived. Um, good notes. I mean, performances. The guy playing Johnny, pretty good. The guy playing Johnny's, he's the main his T-bird. singing, not my favorite. The main T bird, yeah. He's his singing's not the best. But again, none of the male singers are great. Of the male singers, he's the best. I guess by default. Yeah, they, they his, because they have him sing the most exactly. But his physical performance is pretty great. It's his physical performance. It's committed as and hell. He's, it's committed as hell. It's insane. Also, shout out Christopher uh, McDonald, one of the T Birds. Uh, I yeah, love, I, love I have that a note guy. Here. I love that guy. I have a note here that says. Uh, I have I have a note here that says I just realized that Goose is played by Shooter McGavin. And every time I saw him, I kept seeing the line of like, you eat little pieces of shit for breakfast. He's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. Every time he appeared on screen, I couldn't take him seriously because I kept seeing Adam Sandler dissing the hell out of him. <laughs> and him being like, like, I, I don't know, tr 
being angry with Happy Gilmore because of how he putted or something. It was it was very funny to me. He's yeah. also in Secret Invasion, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he is. He's he's one of the people that's a scroll secretly. He's a scroll. Da da da. <laughs> you heard it here first. Shooter McGavin is a scroll in real life. Well, no. Um, well, no. In in the MCU, the person that the scroll replaces a sort of Fox News type of host. He does look like a Fox News type of host, but anyway, he, he can uh, he can play a Fox um, News type of host very well. Shout out Christopher McDonald sure. again, big fan. I love big fan the way you we love you 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 act in the show Hacks on HBO Max. <laughs> oh right, he's in Hacks. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Underrated. He's really underrated fun. as hell on that Under show. I would say underrated guy. Underrated guy. Yeah, yeah. He eats little pieces of shit for breakfast. He's like no. Um, what are the things do I have here? Oh, the pink ladies, very charismatic. Their whole dynamic is as charismatic as the first one, like the whole like yelling back and forth at each other and and them trying to organize. And one of them's the leader, but they're they're not a, they don't really approve of the leader because she's not dating a T bird. And the whole like the dynamic felt very real among among like a bunch of friends. Yeah, again, there's also this little side story hiding underneath the main story which is more than one of the pink ladies isn't really into the t-birds but is sort of forced to see them and yeah there's sort of like teases are like yeah i know this sucks but we have to right that is <laughs> yeah they do great a bit, they're, a, a they're bit fucked no up yeah, the fact that this movie is bad is none of the performers' fault. Like, none of the performers is doing a bad job, except the guy playing Michael. Not great. Oh, um, really? Uh, yeah. You think so? I think, I, I feel like, again, one of the good notes that I have here is, like, at least, I mean, for, to a certain extent, they try to make the first Grease again. But also, at the same time, they're making it very like a very weird distinct set of choices that are like this is not like the first Grease at all like the whole the fact that the core relationship in this movie takes a turn towards vigilantism is very weird very very weird considering what the first movie is which is like a high school you know a high school musical <laughs> i didn't want to say high school musical because that's a movie uh, but it's like a normal movie musical set in a high school in the fifties, and it's very. I, I feel normal. like I feel like Greece is too normalized. There's I I. I'll concede. Sure, it's it's really popular weird and and funny. It's not for me. It's weird as fuck. It's very weird, but it's because of the conventions of a musical, and also because it's supposed to be set in the fifties, and it's also an older movie. You know, like all yeah. the weirdness comes from the time and place, I guess. And this movie's weirdness comes from the choices that were made, <laughs> which is very, it's very, again, that, that biology lesson is real weird. And that seduction at the fallout shelter is really weird. Oh yeah. And the, vi the fact that he transforms into the cool rider is really weird. And then they think he's dead and nobody cares. It's very, very weird. Um, yeah, the whole the whole plot is very odd. There's a lot of very strange things that happen in the plot that were unforced errors 
in a way that like Greece is like, well, it's weird because that's just what happens with musicals. They're weird to begin with. And they made it during a very weird time in history about an even weirder time in history. Sure. Starring some pretty weird dudes like John Travolta. But it has its charm. It's a very charming vanilla movie for like an 80s crowd. And this is very weird. This is very strange. So, uh, yeah, I think they don't have the Michael character sing until his solo song, which is charades. He doesn't even do harmonies or like a quick line here and there in any of the other songs. It's insane. And also that charade song is insanely like produced and filled with reverb and echo and just a lot of stuff to hide that this guy might not be the best singer, but he, he must have been the it's boy in the 1980s, man. He, he looks the been... part for sure. He looks it. He looks the part. He's a pretty boy. He's a pretty boy in the 80s, and that's all you needed sometimes, you know. And <laughs> But he's not, he's not a great actor. He's not a great singer. And it helps sometimes that he's covered in like a helmet and goggles for a lot of this movie he's just like riding around against a bunch of other bikers yeah it's very weird yeah the 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 first sort of action scene that he does he's basically evil kniveling the <laughs> fuck out of this out of this 40 year old yeah. this biker gang of 40 year olds picking on some 18 year olds <laughs> after what we're what we're supposed to assume is like weeks of training, but in movie time is like five minutes. Exactly. Like five minute montage. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very fun. Uh, I don't have anything else that's good. I have things that are bad and things that are very random. Sure. So besides. <laughs> so let's go right into yeah, that. Besides reproduction, every musical number goes on for a bit too long. Sure. I wrote down. I'll, agree. I'll grant you that. I liked Cool Rider, but it does go very long and, and it comes to a point where it, there's only so many times you could hear the chorus of cool writer. There's so many times you can hear that before you like, you should have thought of another verse or you should have just ended the song. Yeah. The, the opening um, number, yeah. the, 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 we're going to score tonight song at the bowling, the Luau song, <laughs> basically every single performance at the talent show. There are the talent show yeah. audition performances, which, always get cut short by one of the teachers saying okay that's enough now and it's you know there's 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 something there again where they are are they referencing the fact that the musical numbers are a bit long maybe a bit too long i don't know are you saying this movie is self-aware no i don't think so but there's a hint a tiny hint at it Okay, um, I have here, first of all, why does Sandy have a British cousin? And why is he coming to an American school? Because of and colonialism. Why is he staying in a, and why is he being forced to stay in a fallout shelter in the backyard? That messed me up so much. Well, no, he, he I think <laughs> because he later vacates the shelter for his parking garage for his bike... Um, he just chooses to hang out at the shelter to not be seen. It's a safe location but, for him to sell the T-Birds his, well, the T-Birds pay him but, to 
for but him to do their homework. From the beginning of the movie, because like his bed is made there, and he's got all his stuff from school there, and it's like, oh, really? wait, is he? Is his own family forcing him to stay in a fallout shelter? Because that's better than him staying in his female cousin's room, I guess. Very, Maybe. very weird. Maybe. Very strange. I, I Nevertheless. Just thought, oh my, I was like, I, the weirdest part is that he's British for no reason. He's British because an accent is because, a, because attractive, of, I guess. Yeah, a British accent is sexy. Yeah, sure. Um... Yeah, I thought it was very funny that he just that he's just like, hey, I'm in this. Like he literally comes out of the bus, and a character from the first one, French, is like, hey, you're the cousin of that girl we know in the first movie. How's Britain? And he's like, it's all right, thank you. Like immediately, he's like, oh, this is very what? Okay, Sandy yeah. is comes from a British family, I guess. Okay, well. You know, there, there's plausible deniability with the fact that Sandy's family is most likely white. <laughs> but they still would be like descended from like Dutch people or whatever. I don't know, man. It's still weird. It's still very Europeans. Odd. Europeans. And, you know, Dutch accent, not nearly as sexy as an English accent. Shots sure, fired. I'll give you that. Shots fired. I'll give you that much. I'll give you that much. Um, uh, I, have, I have more notes. I have so many notes. Uh, I have, um, I feel like, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer, I'm going to call her Michelle Pfeiffer, not her stupid character name. Steph. Uh, let me call her Michelle Pfeiffer. Stephanie. No, fuck, fuck that. Let's okay. do Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, right? So Michelle Pfeiffer, her wardrobe is really weird. Like, she's wearing pants and, like, her collar up, like, ultimate coolness. Well, all the other pink ladies are, like, I feel like she wouldn't be let into the pink ladies. If she was like dressed like that all the time, like I'm not, I'm not dissing people who dress like that. I'm just saying that in universe, right, the pink ladies would not elect someone that out of the status quo, appearance-wise, as their leader. I don't know why this messed me up so much, Max. This is why I'm huh. lonely a lot of the time because these oh. are the things that I think about. <laughs> okay, these, these are the things that I think about. I'm like. Why is she wearing pants? I don't think the pink ladies would approve. Well, she and yet she's their leader. You're right that she kind of dresses like what people would call a tomboy. She dresses cool for the eighties. She dresses she's, cool she's for the eighties, cool. and uh, there's this very very brief part where, at the end of the opening number, opening song and dance number at the school, everyone walks in. Everyone gets their books from their locker and ultimately walks to class. She gets a long skirt out of her locker, puts yeah. it on and then sort of pulls her pants up so that, that you, those are not visible anymore. And, yeah. th and throughout the plot of the film, she sort of drops that. Yeah. It's not highlighted enough for you to notice right away, but I feel yeah. like it's sort of part of her character arc of her rejecting the code of the pink ladies, which is you gotta you gotta be at least dating a T bird all the time. Yeah. And she's somehow allowed to be their leader is is fun. Yeah. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what the rules I don't know what blood packs you have to do to be in the pink ladies. Well, but I feel like there's... one of them is like, no, you have to be wearing a dress or a skirt, man. That's just how it goes, Michelle Pfeiffer. Maybe it's passed by blood because 
the sister of one of the pink ladies is also <laughs> a character in this film. Fun fact, she's, sure. she's played by Pamela Adlon. Oh my God, really? That's Pamela Adlon right there. My God, that's weird. And they also have this little girl who's their mascot, <laughs> just like running around. Yeah, that's that's Pamela the, Adlon, the, man. That's yeah, her. I know. I that's what I you reminded me of the little girl. I'm like, so this little girl is like the pink lady's mascot slash um fairy from Legend of Zelda, just like constantly be like, hey, they're about to fight in the parking lot. Man. Exactly. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> and she says, in six years, when I'm old enough, I'm gonna lead the pink ladies. And it's like, I hope you do. I hope you do, little girl. Um, and then she dates a T-bird. Oh yeah, at at the very she's end, she's dating a T-bird at the at the end of the movie. She's dating a T-bird. It's like, so wait, the T-birds are allowed to date anyone, but the pink ladies have to date a T-bird. That's really weird. That's <laughs> so, well, whatever. yeah, that's that's patriarchy for you. Men are allowed to be unfaithful, but women can't. Ooh, look at that, man! Look, we yeah, we get political on this show. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that bowling alley number, huh? Again, what I say is, like, it would be so much better and so much weirder and so much more fun. Because to me, weird equals fun or terrifying. So, and sometimes both. And I want stuff to be, if it's going to be weird, it's going to be fun. Most of the time. And it would be so much better if it was loaded with innuendo and less about actual bowling. But then you start checking stuff and that number is filled with so much weird stuff, like... At, at some point, they cut to a couple that is spinning at inhuman speeds. Yeah. And then there's nuns that are <laughs> bowling with them. And then the T-Birds turn around and you're like, wait, the T-Birds have like custom bowling shirts with the T-Birds logo on the back. But it's also like a custom T-Birds logo with a bowling ball and a bunch of pins. So you're like, what is going on? Let, let, let me tell you, I would love to meet the T-Birds tailor or... I would love to... I would love to meet their branding manager. Their, I would love their, to, their designer, to exactly. Their designer. Because at least one of them, probably Johnny, is like, hey, man. Hey, guys. How you doing, pals? We got to get custom bowling t-shirts for the T-Birds, all right? We got to get custom shirts. Every time we go bowling, we are going to go prowling. <laughs> like, oh. like, and the other oh. ones are like, I'm not sure why we got to rehearse with you, Johnny. I don't know where we have to wear both. We can just wear like our leather jackets and be bikers. No, we got to wear matching shirts because we're the boys. And it's like, okay. Not but it was very funny. To, the more weird details you start looking for in the song, you're like, oh, this is very, very strange. Now that you've said prowling, there's this song and dance number going prowling. performed by the yeah. T-Birds. It follows... The song and dance number where uh, one of the T-Birds tries to bed one of the pink ladies by pretending that a nuclear war is happening. <laughs> it's so weird. And then it fought, directly after that, Johnny goes, let's go somewhere where we're guaranteed to get laid. And it's obviously filled with innuendo. And the implication is that the T-Birds uh, visit, visit a brothel. Yes. That is exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what that is. But like, instead of so them visiting crazy. the brothel, the transition is that they appear at the talent show rehearsal and that that is their song, Prowling. We're going prowling. Exactly. Nah, it's like, oh, 
not a good song. Exactly. Well, and it's a song about high schoolers, uh, well, going to a brothel. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. That's not a joke. That is not our interpretation of the song. That is not subtext. It is no. context. That's what the yeah. movie is telling you happened. Like, they went to get STDs, and then they went <laughs> to the talent show where they kept singing their dumb song about Listen. how they went and got their STDs from... Look, listen, I'm going to stand up for sex, sex workers here. Sex workers, they take know, care of sex, themselves. They got to take care of themselves. I, I know, but not in the 50s. Oh my when God. the 50s was, I mean, Al Capone died of syphilis, man. Like everyone was having a terrible time the first half of the 20th century. And I will say a lot of people still not having a lot of a good time now, you know, but like at least now we know that you got to wrap it up, man. Back then, they didn't know that. Granted. Fine. Granted. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's the, 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 very weird. the song, the, the, the prowling song, to be fair, some, some of the lines, some of the innuendo, double yeah. entendre lines that they sing are clever. I'll, I'll give the song that. Sure. But other than that, it's creepy and bad and goes on for a bit too long like most of the musical numbers i will say i i chart that up or i like uh put that under the sheen of like this is a movie made in the 80s sure and there's a lot of like sex comedies from the 80s that are really weird and creepy and gross if you look at them now but it's also portraying stuff that's in the 50s so it's the retrograde movie portraying even more retrograde version of the society that it's in so like michael goes to stephanie and like keeps insisting that they go out over and over and over and then kind of a toxic trait it's like no i'm gonna become a cool writer to date this one girl but at the same time you have like the aggressive sexuality and all that stuff and that's gross to think about now but in the 80s people are like this is gangbusters this is really funny. Yeah, for Michael, his character arc in part is I have to change everything about myself to go out <laughs> with the leader of the Pink Michelle Ladies, Pfeiffer. Steph Zanoni. See. Sure. Or whatever. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> oh, by the way, I've been watching the after party again, but I feel like I'm the only fan of the show in our friend circle yeah i think you are i have to watch that and then i'll catch up i'm i'm obviously a big fan but whatever let's get back into greece too yeah i mean a lot of like you know this is what cool dudes are like in the 80s is like oh no you have to be a cool guy in the 50s because this was written by people who were alive in the 50s exactly making a movie in the late 1970s, so it could come out in the early 1980s. You want to get into random stuff slash nitpicks? Because I have a couple of those that are funny. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, the nuns in the bowling alley were my first entry into. This is weird. This is really... But then you start yeah. checking a lot of movies from back then, and there's a lot of scenes with, like, random nuns in them. Interesting. At the, the bowling alley, the I noticed... Memorable... Sorry, tell me. Go ahead. No, you were saying. 
at the bowling alley, I noticed that a sort of group of three dancers had a dance move where they had a bowling ball in their hand, did a flip, and then threw a gutter ball. I don't know if, uh, if I thought that dance move was, was really funny. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. I, I remember that, and I was like, that's a lot of effort. And then they, you can tell that they were shooting that, and they were like, oh, I don't, we don't want to film this whole thing again. Let's, let's just keep the one with the gutter ball. Um, uh, yeah, the nuns are weird. The spinning is weird. Uh, I have one. So Michael is asked by the pink ladies to play the piano for the talent. Not by the pink ladies, by a couple of musical theater freaks that are taught by Miss Mason. Yeah, that's right. She gets a- she gets asked by a pair of musical theater freaks that are the weird one of the weirder parts of this movie. Um, weird and random. So he's the cool writer, and the cool writer is presumed dead. So he doesn't show up to the talent show. Who's playing the piano? That's one thing. But the, the, the other thing is that he gets asked to play the piano for the talent show. And there's this scene where they're singing the song Brad or a song about a character named Brad. And you can see his hands on the piano. He's clearly not playing the piano or at least he's not playing the same song that he's supposed to be playing. You think so? I don't know how to I don't know how to play the piano. But I looked at him and I was like, he's just pressing the same thing over and over. That's not that's not how piano music works. Should have gotten my boy piano lessons, man. Come on. Should have should have gotten him any sort of lessons, honestly. The only thing well, he knows how to do motorcycle is lessons. They got him Motor- those. He you know Except if he already knew how to ride a bike, and then it's like, oh, we spared some expense when it came to the casting of our male lead. Sure. Um, yeah, that biology re- lesson. That biology lesson, man. Look, it's 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 real weird, and it's weirder that the teachers are like, because they they have the substitute teacher who looks a lot like Christopher Reeve, but isn't. And they also have the female teacher that is the sexual object for a lot of boys and adult men at the school, including the aforementioned substitute teacher. Yeah, the that, fact that at, they're at least both that's appropriate, this, you know, at least that's appropriate. At least that's appropriate. And it's I'm not going to I don't condone teenage sex or under underage sex necessarily. Right. Just be safe. It's very important for me to say that. Be safe. But like nothing, nothing illegal is happening. You know, it's between teenagers, you know, teenagers in quotations, because again, these are 20 year olds, 30 year olds playing people in high school. Um, yeah, it, it just gets really weird when it happens within the confines of a classroom and then the teacher's doing nothing to stop it. And then there's just harassment occurring on screen. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on in this scene and also the biology classroom is filled with like plants from top to bottom which is like i don't think that's how you know that that way you can tell <laughs> that way you can tell that <laughs> it's a biology classroom that way you can tell and the chemistry one is filled with like weird chemicals uh and if you go some to buns the and burners yeah yeah buns and burners and then you go to the gr like <laughs> imagine if every classroom had like a dedicated decoration motif. Like you go to the geography classroom. And Nothing it's just but gloves. Maps. It's just it's just gloves and maps all throughout. Like the wallpaper is maps. And then you go to history and it's just like a bunch of wax sculptures of 
tyrants from the past or whatever. And yeah, it was it was just very funny. That was just it's so bizarre. Such a bizarre musical number. Another thing that I noticed during the very opening number, at the tail end of it, there's a man carrying a cello on his back running into the school. Yeah. And the T-birds sort of push him around. But then some women, some girls go up to him and kind of touch his chest and go, oh, that's, you know, it was a bit odd. You know, the, the, the hot cello player trope, I... I don't know if this is the origin I was, of that. I was not aware. But speaking it's of the opening number, speaking of the opening number, the main singer is a is not a character on screen. It's I was like, who is singing the intro song? Because at least in the first reads, the intro song is not played when anything is actually happening on camera. It's happening during the opening credits and through animation and stuff. Grace is the word. Yeah, the whole thing. And this one, the intro song of like, I'm going back to school. Basically, the singer is the voice of God singing to a bunch of teenagers that act at his, as his backup slash choreographed support dancers. Exactly. And it's, a dis- like, it's a disembodied voice playing through the speaker system. Yeah. So it, it, would, it made it even funnier that the voice of God is like, ugh. School is such a drag, and everyone is like, and every other singer is like gleefully dancing at the camera and singing, Isn't school a drag? The building we're about to go into, it's such a drag, and they're like smiling. It was, it was very weird to me. Yeah, very funny. Now that they, they, it also has a line about probation being over or something like that. It's, yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. my probation is over, and I'm going back into jail or something. It's just like, cool it, man. Even for the 80s, like, this is appropriate. There's, uh, after the We're Gonna Score Tonight song, Yeah, everyone leaves the bowling alley and Michael is just arriving, so he's late. And he walks up to the yeah. T-Birds and he says, do you guys want to play? And then they just go and say, food, at him. And then they leave. Do you remember <laughs> that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Very weird. Very weird. Um, I I can follow I it up. Go back. I can follow it up with very quickly. Oh, follow follow it up, please. The prize for the talent show, the main prize, <laughs> is a hundred <laughs> records, a yeah. hundred vinyl records, <laughs> hundred vinyl records, and the T birds like the, that's a small yeah. fortune. It it is a small fortune, sure, yes. But then the T-Birds just kind of assume that it's going to be pop records and that Roy Orbison is going to be there. But at the end of the talent show, Christopher McDonald has this sort of weird throwaway line where it's records from classical composers. And he pronounces their names wrong. Mm-hmm. So you got Tchaik- yeah. Tchaikovsky is in there. And I don't remember the other one, but they, they do a whole thing how about does, mispronouncing their names. How does a teenager in the 50s transport and store a hundred vinyl records because like a hundred dvds you could be like well you could fit 50 dvds into a cardboard box no problem a hundred vinyl records that's multiple trips and you can't carry those on your motorbikes what if your parents don't have a car to transport them in the trunk of 
it's it's a very elitist price if you think about it for a couple very of very elitist price <laughs> first of all you have to have a record player first of all you have to have a record player in your house the second thing is that you have to have space for a hundred records and the third is like the cost of the actual record like where's that money from where's that money going from the, I, it's, I think we it's got from the really, state it's from the school board we got to investigate where the we got to audit Rydell High School. <laughs> we got we got to audit Rydell High School. Um, this is a real note, more than more than like a goofy note. And I have a couple. Um, sure. This movie feels underbaked, and yet overly complicated at the same time. Like there's so many stuff. For example, the records, it's like super underbaked. It's like let's come up with a ridiculous with like a prize for a talent show. And then one weird adult from the 50s is like, uh, I don't know, man, a hundred records. And someone was like, yeah, sure, fine. <laughs> Somebody went, like, uh, well, vinyl records are pretty sweet, huh? It's one of those things of like, for the next 30 seconds, none of your ideas are wrong. And everyone's like, they win a hundred, they win a hundred <laughs> vinyl records. Um, Michael turns into a vigilante and he's a cool writer. And then they have a horny singing number at the biology lesson and just a bunch of stuff like that. It's like, sure, man, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. A lot of this movie feels like that. And then at the same time, it's like not it's not well thought through. And then other stuff is like, but this is you could have just cut this out of the movie and it would not have altered the composition of the movie. Or maybe that's what makes it weird. Like that fallout shelter number where he's trying to seduce the other girl. Yeah, it has no. It's full gaslighting. No holding on the rest of the movie. It has no holding on the rest of the movie. First of all, which like structurally not a good idea. The song is bad, and but at the same time, the song is really weird. Of like, having sex with me is a patriotic act. <laughs> it's like okay, that's, sure, that, man. That last part I can sort of look past. <laughs> where a really really horny teenager who would do do and say anything to get laid. Not even he would, not even that kid would do something as stupid. Like most dudes. And also the fact that he has three of his boys helping him out with this strategy. That means he has two dudes that are going to be outside the door for any future physical act. So, like. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're the fluffers. Too- what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> He's got two fluffers outside of his door and it's not even his door it's michael's fallout shelter yeah which means which means that this guy stumbled onto what he thinks is a perfect strategy for wooing a woman yeah if, and also if, like, if you want to get serious about it yeah if you want to get serious about it he's like he's taking this very dumb stupid risk because he knows really dumb the girl can't leave him you know what I mean? Or at, or at least has to date one of his friends one so of his she buddies. remains in his life. Exactly. And not a lot of and, and not a lot is going to happen to him. That's a good point. Yeah. But I will say it's still weird because the plan depends kind of if there's going to be no repercussions for this in terms of like we're mad at you forever. He's like there has to be a point where he like they come out of the bunker and if there's not a nuclear apocalypse in progress, she's going to immediately murder him. Like, she's going to immediately, like, you lied to me. She does that 
fortunately, she figures that out before anything happens. Yeah. Because uh, Shooter McGavin and one of the other T-Birds stumbles into the fallout shelter. It just it just strikes me as very odd. Imagine, because for all intents and purposes, it's going to your friend's bedroom while he's not even remotely nearby. He basically breaks into Michael's bedroom oh, so yeah. he can bang this other girl. It's so weird. And it, the the song has really weird undertones to it. It's so, so weird and gross. And then she starts like bandaging him up, like like he's injured, like and he's an injured soldier. Exactly. Very weird. That, that that's a that's some sort of like, well, I guess kind of a fucked up fantasy thing about having a soldier boyfriend, a soldier husband. But yeah, I get. Also, I, I also you're not the nurse creepy. treating him in war. So what's the role play? about what what are you even doing unless they're both into it which is like you know what if that if that's a previously agreed like i like to be the soldier i like to be the nurse i mean knock yourself out man but like you're wooing her under false pretenses man it's still still bad not still not good you've brought the song back up and i would just like to point out to you and the audience it's the first film on the bomb shelter that features a bomb shelter it is exact. That's exactly what it is. We should have a button that says "bomb shelter alert," just like, just like bomb a shelter alert. Voice. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> the bomb shelter has found a bomb shelter, <laughs> or just like the Leo DiCaprio, just like whistling and snapping his fingers at the screen. We should we should have that instead of instead of a button. Just like every time there's a bomb shelter, every time we talk about a movie on the show that has a bomb shelter, it should just be that. <laughs> just. I don't think that's going to happen that frequently, but sure, we can do that. Sure, we can do that. Um, another weird thing. Uh, yeah, pretending there's a nuclear attack to sleep with a girl. And then she falls for it, which is like, I guess kind of the point is like, they're supposed to make the pink ladies like, oh, they're kind of airheads or whatever. But they don't, they're not really that airheaded in no. this movie. And, and yet she's still like playing along with it of like, Sure, there's a nuclear attack, and you're the one I want to spend all my time with instead of like calling anyone else or like attempting to. There has to be like a radio in that fallout shelter. She, everyone knew about fallout shelters. Like, this was the atomic scare of the Cold War or whatever. Like, this was the agenda. They sort of everyone would know what a, what a fallout shelter had. They try to patch up the weirdness of that song with the number at the luau. Where that couple itself, <laughs> those two characters are dancing and the woman says, what's wrong with just liking each other? We don't have to fuck to be together. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, that's basically what they're she doing that. And the other guys and the other guy is like, sure, I guess that's what I deserve. I, I guess I guess <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. I yeah. <laughs> I guess that's better than lying to you in order to Betty. That's fine. Okay, whatever. Like it's it does kind of play like that. Speaking of the luau, that's a weird ending. That is a weird place to set the ending of a Grease movie. And like at least the first one, it also has a setting that's weird, but it's not like totally weird because it's like oh a carnival's in town. Let's go to the carnival. Perfectly reasonable setup. No, this one is like first of all, they have to do this whole thing of like. 
it's the prize for like it's like a post talent show thing and like you won the talent show or you won the hearts of the jury at the talent show so michelle pfeiffer gets to be queen of the luau it comes out of nowhere because it it comes out of nowhere yeah it's not mentioned at first in conjunction with the talent show at all it's a plot element that is introduced like five minutes before it is actually introduced like it's they talk about like what if you're queen of the luau and, and Michelle Pfeiffer's like I don't think so and then she becomes queen of the luau like five minutes later and she's but because she's and she doesn't react because she's traumatized because basically the cool rider the cool rider is dead yeah and no one cares but her like everyone's like well uh not our fault let's go back <laughs> and the, no one's questioned nothing happens and Michelle Pfeiffer's just like I just witnessed somebody die and I was like ah forget about it yeah and then she (laughs) she sings a song that's basically I mean it's 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 if I could turn back time by share but not that song but basically the same but not that the the same uh, premise it's the same premise for a song there you go yeah and I was gonna say she reacted like this for a dude he met two days ago. She met two but days ago. Then again, ago. that's that's how that's how a bunch of musicals and like romance, Romeo and Juliet things work out. It's like I met you at a party, and now you're my entire life, and like yeah, <laughs> that's that's whatever. At, at least that is a romance trope. The romance trope it can work really well, you know, at the first meeting if the two characters have a lot of chemistry, and whatnot. But here it's just that yeah. he. He's changed who he is for her, and that's why she likes him. And at the end of the day, what's the real mask? Bruce Wayne or Batman? I mean, what's the, the cool writer. What's the real mask? Michael. Clark Kent or <laughs> Superman? Clark Kent or Superman. He puts on glasses, and he's the cool writer. He takes them off, and he's Michael. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, at the talent show, there's also this one act He's just this weirdo dressed in green who is singing. And every time someone shows up on stage, he like ropes their leg aggressively. Doesn't matter if it's Johnny. Doesn't matter if it's a teacher. But like it's just this weirdo guy that is very intensely singing. And I thought he was very hilarious. But because it's so strange. There's another number at the talent show that is like Dadaism art. I don't remember if someone's playing the bagpipes or a no. It's not. It's no. No. It's it's not. It's not the bagpipes. It's a what's that it's, instrument it's called? Some, it's some sort of some sort of weird in, like wind instruments, right? Like it's I, one of those. I don't know. Well, or it's like a. It's or it's like yeah. a banjo. It's a no, it's a not weird, a, not a banjo. Like, it is a wind instrument. It's a. It's an accordion. It's an accordion. That's right. It's an accordion and two other characters are dancing with like accoutrements taped to their heads and then they bang into each other. One of the accoutrements falls off and then the act ends. And you're like, what is this? What is going yeah, on that's, here? That's, that's, that's Dadaism. It's anti-art at the talent show. That's, that's Dadaism. Exactly. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, there's a scene in the 90s version of It, of Stephen King's It. Uh, where they show a scene of like one of the characters filming a movie and like 
the scene that they're filming is if you stop and you think about it it's so insane because the character and the other character are like fighting each other by throwing like pillows at each other and then feathers fall on top of them and then they start hitting each other with tennis rackets and they have like a sunset backdrop behind them and then someone yells cut and you're like what is what is going on here huh. very strange okay there's also a scene in Diarrhea of a wimpy of a wimpy kid with like a also a talent show and a, like a little kid like a third grader his talent is skating circles around a boombox that is singing Yankee Doodle Dandy <laughs> and he's just doing that over and over and over until the song ends he picks up the boombox and he leaves. And, I, and I'm like, that is, that's kind of like protest art almost. That's kind yeah, of, that kid is going to grow up to be a kid, famous either painter, director, or author. Yeah, that, that kid's going places. That kid's doing some weird stuff. Um, We're also going places. We're going uh, home after watching Grease 2. Yeah. yeah, we we got to go, man. Otherwise, we're just going to pick at every single thing Um yeah, I guess closing thoughts for me are like, this would be, I don't know. I was very prepared to like this because I knew about the vigilantism angle and I was like, this is going to be insane. But it's just like, some of it is just very bland. The stuff that is weird is gross because it's from the past. And most of the past is gross. Some of it is great. Uh, like, I don't know. Jimi Hendrix and Steven Spielberg. And even some of that is a little weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's as scathing of a, an indictment of the past as you're going to get from me. It's like, some of the past is gross. We didn't have vaccines or the internet yet. so like. <laughs> well, closing thoughts on Grease 2 from my end. It starts out really, really going hard and there's one musical number after the other and people are acting insane and it's kind of fun and kind of gross but the songs aren't that good and it ultimately drags on for too long in my opinion again sure. if, if you really like this movie then uh good for you and i'm Boo. not i'm not I'm, <laughs> we're not trying to take this take your enjoyment away from Greece to Adam. No, all. not at all. Um, so Max, yeah. We have a very serious question to answer. What the hell is gonna replace this movie on the poll for next week? I would say cocktails starring is... Tom Cruise. Let's do cocktails starring Tom Cruise. Yeah. You've been insisting on it. I'm gonna give you the pleasure of <laughs> us doing cocktails starring Tom Cruise. I, I saw the poster and I really want to watch it because Tom Cruise, for better or for worse, is a very committed performer. So sure, I feel like we might be in for some magic here. I don't know. There's a movie where he does an Irish accent. I don't remember what it is. Oh wow! But I want to see it because he's not supposed to be great in it. And I'm like, Tom Cruise, not doing great. Okay, I still think his greatest performance is Tropic Thunder. I still think his best performance is as the agent and, and or the studio executive in Tropic Thunder in the fat suit. I'd go. I'd go for Dancing. Magnolia, but. But Tropic Thunder is a very great. close second for me. Tropic Thunder has career best performances for a bunch of actors, including Robert Downey Jr. One of his uh, best performances as an actor wearing blackface is incredible. 
It's so good. <laughs> he's he's so good in that movie. Certainly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. sure, that's a good reaction. I just I just don't know how to react to the fact that you've brought we somehow managed to finish on blackface. I don't know how to feel about that. It feels, I mean, look, it's the 50s, it feels appropriate. <laughs> well, no, in the 50s movie. Just to be, to, to be very clear, in context, the blackface in Tropic Thunder is, the use of it is justified. It's a, it's the, the point is that it's a joke and that it's stupid and excessive. And no, no, the, the, the point is that it's wrong to do that. And we're showing you through how this person behaves that it's very, very wrong to do that. Yeah, this show gets political. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna leave before we cancel ourselves further. Uh, Max, where can people find you? They can uh, find me wandering around the streets looking for the lost Bona Cinema. Uh, rest in peace, my love. And also, they can find me on uh, Instagram at uh, Massware and Letterbox at Massware Eleven. I'm also in on on Threads now as well. Uh, also oh. at Massware. So there you go. Okay. Uh, you can also find me on several social media platforms as Pattison Idiot. Not Instagram. Please don't follow me on Instagram. Follow me on threads. Uh, follow me on threads. Follow me on what is soon to be called X. God, that's a stupid name. Oh, God. Um, and under Pattison Idiot. Also follow me on Letterboxd at Pattison Idiot and just Subscribe to the show, man. Share, share the love. Subscribe to the show. Tell a friend, and we'll we'll be listening and talking to each other again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Let's see if next time we can do King Arthur. <laughs> Let's see. We'll figure it out. <laughs>